Good morning, Gateway. Hey, it's good to have you here, and uh, welcome again uh, to worship with us as Catherine takes her seat. I'll just talk for a minute, and uh, nah, I'm just kidding. We started a new series last week that we're calling Breaking Free, and uh, we're talking about some, some traps, six common traps that keep us from really experiencing the kind of full life that Christ has for us. And last week we talked about the performance trap and we said that that this trap is where we we begin to believe that God's acceptance comes through our performance. And we said last week that there's no possible way you could ever perform your way into God's good graces. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do enough stuff, never be able to not sin enough to be acceptable to God. And what we said is one of the traps we fall into is living for God's acceptance when what we really need to do is live for from God's acceptance because of what Christ has done for us. Today we're going to just kind of continue on down this road uh, to talk today about what I want to call the events trap. And and the trap essentially is this, where we believe that spiritual growth comes from uh, occasional spiritual activity or or, or a method or an event. And and this is one of those sermons that's a, a little bit a little bit convoluted, and I struggled a lot this week, even in just in terms of uh, how to put it together. One of the most difficult sermons to write is, quite frankly, a sermon that you've kind of been meditating on and experiencing for months, which I have, and, and then you're supposed to kind of put it all together in one weekend. So I gave it my best shot. Your notes this morning are not going to perfectly align with what I preach because um, they did last night, and it didn't work out so well. So I've made a few changes, and uh, if there's a few missing fill in the blanks, don't, don't sweat it, don't worry about it. Uh, years ago, um, I began a quest uh, to become organized. I- anybody have a junk drawer? Anyone? Uh-huh. Well, see, I-, I got to this place in my life where the junk drawer was kind of like a great metaphor for my life, you know? Uh, I-, I had a junk drawer. You go in the kitchen and open up the drawer, and everything that, you know, hadn't been put anywhere else was put there. And it wasn't so bad that I had a junk drawer because really, it's okay if you have one. But I had a junk drawer, you know, and I had a, I had a junk glove compartment in, in, in my car. I had a, you know, junk garage. I had a junk closet. I had, like, junk pockets. I had a uh, junk inbox in my email. I had, you know, a junk desktop on my computer. My desk was really actually just a junk drawer. And so it went. And... and all these parts of my life, you know, and, and you know how it goes, you get the mail, and you're like, oh, I can't really deal with this right now, so you put it down, I got my keys, put it down, and I, I got to this point where I spent so much time looking for my keys, and looking for that bill, and looking for that email, and all that, that I thought, you know, I got to get organized, and you know, I don't have to be perfectly organized, but I got to be more organized than I am, and so I kind of began this little quest to become more organized, so one time I was talking to this guy that I thought was a really organized person, and I asked him, how do you do it, how do you stay on top of everything, you know, and, and he just said, his secret was three by five cards. And he said, you know, I just take three by five cards everywhere I go, and if I think of something I need to do, I write it down. So, you know, every Monday, you might want to start one for the sermon this week, and when you think of stuff, you write it down, and if you think, oh, I got to go, you know, pay that bill, I got to do that, I got to buy that, start a, a shopping list, sh- start this list and that list, and you just kind of put all these, you write them all down. So I thought, wow, well, that's easy, a pen and some three by five cards, probably five or six thousand, and I'll be good. And so I bought some cards, and I started filling out the cards, and I did that for a little while, until all my junk drawers were filled with three by five cards, and Hours. And then that, that like didn't work so well. So I moved on to day timer. Anyone use a day timer? Day runner? Yeah. 
This, that's not what this is because I lost mine, but it's kind of, it represents it. So I got one of those, you know, day runners, day timers, and, you know, I'd have a, I'd have a page for projects and a page for church seven and a page for sermons, and I'd write all my appointments, and someone come out and go, are you free next week? And I'd look and go, yeah, and I'd write it down, and I had my, my day timer, and that worked pretty good for a while. Got a little bit annoying to open it up every, all the time, you know, and try to keep up on stuff, and after a while, it kind of got away from me, and then, you know, one time I actually only accidentally put it on top of my car and drove off, and I've never seen it since. Um, I did see one page out of it, though, on 39th, but other than that, I haven't seen it since. Uh, I remember uh, somebody said, oh yeah, this guy's coming to town, he does a seminar, it's just great, you know, he's really helps you get organized, I tried that, uh, I did that for a little while, bought a filing cabinet, and anyone done this, I bought a filing cabinet and, and, and went down to Home Depot and bought like 50 containers, because I, I read... If you put everything in a container, then you'll be really organized. You, you buy, so everything in my garage went in a container. Everything went in a container. In the attic, bought containers for everything in the attic, you know, kind of labeled everything. And down in the basement, and even in the, even in the closet, you know, kind of got everything. So I got my filing cabinet, and I got my, I got my containers, and that kind of worked okay for a while. And then I just thought, you know what I really need to do is ramp it up. I need some technology because that's where it works. So I got, so I launched into technology. I got Microsoft Office, you know, and I started using the calendar program, and I started using the email program, you know, and the email boxes and all that kind of stuff until all those got full and started overflowing. And then I thought, the problem is I, I'm organized when I'm at my desk, but I'm not organized when I'm not at my desk, which is a lot of times. So I got, anybody ever had a, a Palm Pilot? Anyone? Oh, baby, these are sweet for about two weeks, and uh, I had one of these, and I could, the only problem was I could never really get it to sync with my computer, so it's kind of like now I was having two computers, because I'd, I'd like cook them up, and one would delete the other, or you know, they'd like attack each other or something, they'd, they just never really got along, but it was really cool, and you know, I see the guys carrying around the Palm Pilots, or what, now it's the, the Crackberries, you know, which I can't get into, but you know, stuff like that, sorry if you like that, but um, I'm sure I'll hear from you in about 10 minutes with an email, but anyways, because you can do that. Uh, but I tried the Palm Pilot for a while, and you know, that worked for a little bit, and uh, oh, and then I got into, this is kind of a, an esoteric kind of thing, this is, there's a company called Behance, and they make all the, the, this line of notebooks, and I thought, well, I'm going to go retro, I'm going to go back to notebooks, because they use color coding for stuff, which I just... I love color coding. It's just like the coolest thing in the world. And so I got myself a Behance notebook and I started, I carried around everywhere I went and I did that for a while and I did, I actually left that also on the top of my car. And uh, then I, um, then I got, anyone ever have a label maker? Okay, seriously, these are, Lana, are these not the coolest invention ever, ever? So I was like, oh, because I read this book and this guy says the key is you got to label everything. And if everything's labeled, then, you know, everything will be in its place and you know where it goes and you label the drawers and you label your files. That was cool. Labeling files. I'd never thought of that. Label your files. Label your drawers. Label all that stuff. This is where the underwear goes. This is where the trash goes. I, uh, when I labeled my kids, my wife said, that's it. You have to get rid of the label maker. You can't have that. And then, and then, wow, this was like the, to, the, the end all David Allen wrote a book called Getting Things Done. Ever, anyone ever read Getting Things Done? Oh, wow. Okay. We call it GTD. That's our lingo, Getting Things Done. So this guy writes this book. It's called The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. So I'd read a little bit about this guy, and it sounded like he really had it all together. So I read this book, 
And uh, then I read the next book, which is like that thick, because this is just like, you know, the, the, the free sample of the crack. And then they get you on the real stuff, and then you read, you read that, and it's this big, huge system. But with all of that, it, what, here's what I learned. All of that reading, all that studying, and, and this, <laughs> this is what it comes down to. David Allen says, if, you, if you're going to be organized, two things you have to do. First of all, I know this will sound absolutely revolutionary to you. First of all, you have to get organized. So... What he means by that is most people decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of work at getting organized. I'll, I'll start today and I'll set up a file and then I'll, you know. And he's like, no, you can't do that. His suggestion is you take a week and you cancel everything in your life, everything. And for one week, you organize every single nook and cranny of your life. Your car, your glove box, your junk drawer, your house, your closet, everything in your life. Your email inbox, your files on your computer, you organize everything. You look at everything in your life and say, where does it go? And then you put it there. And then once you get everything where it belongs, right, then here's the second key, and that is you stay organized. So it's, it's totally worth the cost of the book. So you get organized, and here's what he means by stay organized. What he means is if, you're, if your approach to organization is once a day, I'll take 10 minutes and pick up my keys and pick up the mail and, and, and go through my inbox and all that stuff, it will never work. It'll never, no form of organization will work. He says basically... You have to stay organized moment by moment. So every moment of the day, you pick something up. Don't just throw it in the junk drawer. You ask yourself, where does it go? And you put it there right now. You get a, a piece of email. You don't put it off. You just decide, do I delete it? Do I file it? What do I do with it? Do I, you know, pass it on? <laughs> you know, uh, what do I do with it? And then you, you just keep up with all of your stuff that way. Now, I know it doesn't sound like, like rocket science, but for me... It's really work. Now, I think when it comes to organization, quite frankly, you don't need to be any more organized than, than your life requires. So maybe for some of you, you don't need to be very organized to have a pretty productive life. Some of us do. It's just organization. It's not rocket science. But I think it's, it's easy at times when it comes to our spiritual life to kind of treat our spiritual life like that. To, to treat our spiritual life like the key to a good spiritual life is you've got to have a system. If you have a system, that, that, that will keep you spiritual. And so over the years, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who've tried a lot of different, I don't know, I'd, I'd call them methods or events. Events that they think if I do these things, if I do these events, if I put them on my calendar, then I will be a spiritual person. And so I've kind of noted just a few of them. Like this is the very first, you know, spiritual event that I ever learned when I first became a Christian at the age of 15. I was taught that good Christians get up an hour early and spend time with the Lord. Okay, so I didn't even know what an hour early was. What's an hour early? Is that an hour earlier? Is that an hour earlier than you? Is that six o'clock? I didn't know what it was, but I, I, I noticed like all the really mature Christians, they got up an hour early and, uh, you know, they, they got their Bible and, and they, they pr they, they'd pray for a little bit, and they would read for a little bit, and, you know, maybe uh, read a devotional, and uh, that's what you did. And if you got up an hour early every day, and you spent some time with the Lord, it was just seemed like a guarantee, you know, drop, kick, that you're going to be a spiritual person. I, <laughs> I tried it. I'm not a morning person. I got to tell you, it was a great way to take another nap, but it just didn't, you know, I, I tried it. I tried it for months and I kept wondering, what am I doing wrong? 
Uh, then I learned, this is a great one, the Acts prayer. Anyone ever learned the Acts prayer? This is how I learned to pray. This, this is the A-C-T-S. This is how you pray. This is how a really mature person prays. The A stands for, anyone? Adoration, all right? So that's where you start prayer, by just adoring God, by just worshiping God for a few minutes. And then there's the C, which is confession. That's right. You confess your sins. You get clean. The T Thanksgiving, so you just take a few minutes and you, you thank God for the good things he's done in your life. And the S, supplication, which is like a big fancy word for help. You know, so you just tell God, I, I'm, I'm in trouble, I need your help, I need your wisdom, I need your guidance. I was taught when I first became a Christian, you want to be a great Christian, pray this prayer, A-C-T-S. Uh, there's the deep Bible devotional uh, event, you know, that's, I was taught, you know, what you do is you get um, the biggest Bible you can find, and uh, maybe a devotional book to go with it or a commentary. You get uh, your little pocket protector with all your colored-coded, you know, underliners, and, uh, which I think is really cool, by the way. You get a notebook, and, and then you do a deep, a deep Bible study where you dig down and you find some really, really deep truths. And if you, if you get a commentary and you get your Bible and you get some different colored, especially I'd say orange and yellow underliners, then, you know, and you use those, you're going to become a spiritual person. Uh, there's the, the worship service event, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do during the week, just go do your thing. You know, just as long as you make an appointment every weekend to come to church for an hour and a half, um, then, you know, you're going to be a spiritual person. Uh, there's the deep spiritual book uh, approach, and this is, I'm a sucker for this one every time. So, you know, if you see someone who's really spiritually mature, I, I fall for it every time, and they're, they, they're holding a book. I can't help it. It's just, I got to go up and say, man, what are you reading? <laughs> what is it? What is it? You know, I'm like, is it on Amazon.com? How can I get it? Is it on sale? You know, and they'll show me, and inevitably everyone does this, oh man, it's the best book I've ever read. It's absolutely changed my life. I mean, I'm like clawing my way to the internet. I got to get that book, you know, and then it comes and I read it and I don't know if this has ever happened to you where somebody reads a book and they're like, it changed my life and you read it and you're like, what did I miss? You know, is this the book they read? I've done that. Just, you know, doesn't always do it for me. Uh, there's the grow group event. People think, you know, if I just join a grow group, I, I'm going to grow. It's, it's guaranteed. Uh, there's the ministry event, you know. People say, if you want to grow, if you want to be a mature Christian, you just got to get involved in some sort of ministry, and then you, you'll grow. Or the retreat, or the seminar. You ever done that? Oh, there's a seminar coming down. Oh, I'm going to go on a retreat, because everyone knows that's where your life changes. You're going to retreat. Fasting. Anyone fast? Anyone do? Man, and I still can't figure out why they call it fasting, because it's so slow. Every time I do it, you know what I mean? But it's like, fasting and I, I there, there are times when I'll just be like oh god I just I, I need to grow I'm just gonna I'm not gonna eat today man I'll tell you what uh fasting is a great thing to do but if you do it just because you think if I just do it and check that off I'm gonna be a great Christian I gotta tell you it's not gonna work that way I know people who have quit their jobs and gone to bible college or seminary because they were just like you know what I don't feel spiritual enough but I think if I went to bible college I think if I went to seminary I would just become a spiritual giant. Let me tell you something. I went to Bible college and seminary, and some of the least spiritually mature people I know graduated from seminary. If just going to Bible college and seminary made you a spiritual giant, well, that would be easy, wouldn't it? And yet, my experience says it doesn't necessarily do that. And I've talked with a lot of people over the years who have said, you know what, I've tried this stuff. I've tried these methods. I've tried these events. I put them on my calendar. But, you know, after a while, it just feels mechanical to me. It feels ritualistic to me. It feels like an obligation, and it doesn't feel fulfilling to me. 
So I think for most of us, desire isn't the problem. I think most of us have a desire to be intimate with God. I think most of us have a desire to, we would love to have a soul that's deeply connected with Christ, that's on fire for the Lord. We'd love to feel the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God in our life. But there's a trap that we can fall into. And the trap is this. The trap is thinking that spiritual growth comes from occasional spiritual events or signing up for a particular spiritual method. I read my Bible for an hour a day and I will magically grow. I memorize a verse a week and I will magically instantly grow. Let me tell you something. If that was true, Karl Marx would have been one of the greatest Christians to ever live because the guy memorized the four Gospels. And it didn't seem to change his life. Oh, if I pray this Acts prayer three times a day, I'll automatically become a spiritual giant. See, here's what I'm trying to say. What makes spiritual activities beneficial is when they're done with God, not just for God. It's when they're done with Jesus, not just because you're trying to get some points from him. I, about six months ago, I was uh, having lunch at the Spaghetti Factory in Vancouver. <clears throat> and uh, I sat down at this table. And just shortly after I got in, this, this dad with these two young boys comes in. And uh, they, <clears throat> they sat in the trolley area there. And so they kind of sat down, and the dad and the boys, and the dad's like, oh man, it's a dad-boys lunch, you know. And they're all high-fiving each other. And the boys are, woohoo, they're excited because they're having lunch with dad. And just, you know, just some dad time with the boys. And they sit down, and... The waitress comes up. She's like, you know, what's going on, guys? And the dad's like, man, it's some dad sun time. So, you know, we're just, we're pulling out all the stops. These guys can order anything they want. And <clears throat> the boys are looking over the menu. They're all excited. And, and the phone rings, his cell phone. He picks it up. He's like, oh, oh, man, yeah, how's it going? Oh, yeah, oh, cool, yeah. Oh, I'm just having some, I'm just having some dad sun time, man. That's what we're up to. No, 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 no. What did she say? And pretty soon this guy's talking and talking and talking and the boys are just kind of sitting there waiting and the waitress comes and, you know, he's just like, the dad's too busy on the phone so he's pointing, you know, and ordering and stuff and, and finally gets off the phone and the, and the boys are like, all right, dad, we can have our, our time. And the dad's like, yeah. And then the phone rings. He gets back on the phone. Oh man, how's it going? Yeah, oh, I'm just having some time with my boys. Yeah, yeah, we're just having lunch together. And for the next hour, the entire hour he was on the phone the entire time. Five different people, he made it clearly known, I'm just having some time with my boys. I doubt that the boys felt that way. See, it's, it's easy sometimes to approach spiritual disciplines that way, isn't it? When the, when the point of spiritual discipline is to be with God, not just to do something for God. And so here's our, here's our big idea for the weekend. When it comes to your spirituality, I want you to think connectedness not events. Think connectedness, not, not, not methods. Spiritual activity, spiritual disciplines, and I don't want you to misunderstand me here, these are extremely, vitally important to your spiritual growth. So I'm not putting them down. Bible study is something you absolutely need. You need to discover God's truth because most of God's truth is not intuitive to you. So you need to study the Bible. And you need to understand doctrine. And yeah, you need to get some commentaries. And you need to drill down into the word of God. You should be a person who prays without ceasing. You need to meditate on the word of God. Church, being with other believers is vitally important to your growth. Worship and serving. But, but here's the thing you need to understand. Spiritual activity is not an end in itself. It's not just a box to check off. It's not some kind of magic method that you can use and automatically grow. 
Spiritual disciplines are supposed to be a context for being with Jesus so that you can grow closer to him. It's kind of like a husband who asks his wife out on a date, you know. <clears throat> Guys, you ever do that? You're like, hey, honey, you know, let's, let's go out on a date on Friday night. And I know none of you guys would ever do this, but it's kind of like a husband who invites his wife out on a date. Let's go out to dinner. And they go out to dinner and all he does is eat, right? Because what's she thinking? It's not really about the meal, right? It's the meal's just a context for us to be together and share life. But he just, he's just looking for a good steak, you know? And he just eats. But the meal is supposed to be a context, a setting for developing a relationship. That's why you study the Bible, because it's a context for being with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you pray. You don't pray so you can check off a box and somehow God will magically make you grow. You're praying because it's a great context for being with the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. This summer I was reading through the Gospels. It's probably my favorite thing in, in all the world to read. It's just to sit down and read the Gospels together during the summer. And I have a book that kind of <clears throat> puts them all together chronologically. And so every summer I read it. And as I was reading through the Gospels, I was, again, just kind of noticing the miracles and, and, and the parables, which I just love to go through those. That Jesus I I interchanges his exchanges with, with people conversationally, the, the miracles, the interaction. But it seems like every time I read through the Gospels, there's always kind of some theme that, that rises to the top every summer, and it always it seems to be something different. This summer, the thing that kind of rose to the top for me is found in Matthew 11. And Jesus is talking, and he says this, and it really struck me that in many ways, this kind of strikes at the very heart of what the Gospels is about. Jesus says, notice this, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus says, just come to me. His invitation is to be with him. So many times we think his invitation is to do things for him, or to do things to get his approval, as we talked about last week, but his invitation is to be with him. And it's interesting if you read the Gospels, because you find the Gospels are full of examples of people who did all the right stuff. They had all the spiritual disciplines down, but they missed the most important thing. They missed being with Jesus, and because they missed that, they missed it all. So in the time we have left, I want to talk for a minute about how to avoid that trap. To avoid that trap of simply doing things for Jesus, as opposed to living with him. And uh, this is kind of one of those sermons, I know if you're looking at your notes, you're like, how is this a sermon? There's only two points. And the first point is like 90% of the sermon, and the last point is just like an addendum on the end. So you'll have to forgive me for homiletically kind of being off base today. Just uh, overlook that. But the first, the, the first thing I want to explain is this. If you're going to be a person who, who does this, you need to learn to mind the door. In the 1600s, uh, Brother Lawrence put it this way. He says, we need to learn to practice the presence of God. And that kind of says it all. Learn to practice the presence of God. We get that context, that, that idea from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus brings a, uh, a message to the Apostle John to deliver, to write, to a particular church that existed at that time in Laodicea. And, and the church of Laodicea was made up of believers, people like you and I. And this is important because a lot of times when we read this passage, we use it in the context of evangelism, but this was written to believers. And here's what Jesus says to this group of believers. He says, look, here I stand at the door 
And I knock. So he's, he's painting a picture for them. If you hear me calling and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. Now again, Jesus is speaking to the church. He's talking to believers. And, and in those days, in ancient times, sharing a meal wasn't really about the meal. Sometimes that's kind of hard for us to understand. But when you invited someone over to your house to eat, it wasn't about the meal. Now, today we make it all about, well, I'm going to impress them and the meal's got to be awesome and we'll talk about... Back then, it wasn't, the, the food wasn't even the point. The food was just a context to be with other people, you know? So you could be eating your, your food and you could talk. You could have a conversation. And they would take a couple of hours to eat that meal because it really wasn't about the meal. It was about the conversation. But the meal was handy because when things got quiet, you could take a bite or two and, you know, go on it. It's kind of like today when we'll say, hey, let's, you want to go grab some coffee? For most of us, we're, we're not saying, I'm going to go to Starbucks and have some coffee. And if, you know, you want to come along, you can drink with me and we can go up together. Usually, what do we mean? Hey, let's go talk. And, and Starbucks is a nice place to do it. And we can sit there and talk. It's not about the coffee. The coffee is just a context to be with someone. So that's, that's the invitation that Jesus gives to the believers here. Now, he talks about the door. He says, you know, I'm standing at the door knocking. Open the door. Now, the, the door is an interesting concept because y- you understand, if you've given your life to Christ, he lives in your heart. So it's kind of an interesting picture. He, he's living in your heart, and yet he's asking you to open the door. I mean, what is, that, what is that about? How does that work? How is he in your life? And yet you have to open a door. Well, I think what he's basically saying here is that when you give your life to Christ, he lives in you. He's now in you. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and you now belong to God. But opening the door is about inviting him into the moment. Because let's face it, we all, we all know what it's like to have Christ in our life, but not in the moment. We all know what it's like to have Christ in our heart, but maybe not in the conversation that we're having or in the decision that we're making. And this is a church of people who apparently had got used to keeping the door closed. And so Jesus invites him. He says, hey, you know what? Life is best lived when the door is open. Now, of course, the problem is that a lot of times we like to take on the role of doorman, you know? It's like there are times we want the door open. You know, oh, oh Jesus, I, I need a date, you know? I'm never going to get a date on my own. So, you know, here, I'm opening the door. Please come in. You know, if you can raise someone from the dead, maybe you can get me a date. Oh, come in, you know? And so then, you know, Jesus comes in and he works in the moment and, and he gets you a date. And then we're like, oh, well, I didn't want you to go on the date with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be awkward. So, you know, we close the door. Oh, God, I need, a, I need a paycheck. You know, I really need some income. Please come in. Come in, let's dine together. And, you know, I need to get you involved. You get the job and you're like, well, I, I didn't need you to tell me how to spend it, right? So we, we, sometimes we do that. We, we pick and choose when the door's open, when the door's closed. Now, sometimes, let's face it, we just get so caught up in the moment-to-moment of our life, we get so busy that we, we forget to open the door into the moment. We forget to invite him in to the moment we're living. I think just a great example of that is the story in Luke 10 of of Mary and Martha. And I'm not going to read the story right now, but I put it in your notes. It's these two sisters and they had a brother named Lazarus. And and one time Jesus was traveling and they invited him and said, hey, come over to our house and have a meal, you and the the disciples. So Jesus and the disciples come over and they're at Mary and Martha's house 
You probably remember the story and they're there. And so, you know, Jesus comes in and he's, I think he's hanging out in the family room and he's talking with some people and, you know, he's probably sharing, doing a little teaching, a little fellowship. And Martha is in the kitchen and she's cooking and she's, you know, she's chopping up stuff and she's getting everything ready and got the hors d'oeuvres and the dessert and got all going. But she's kind of stressing out because she looks around the corner and she sees her sister Mary who is, who's just sitting in the room with Jesus. And that's kind of bothering Martha because Martha's busy doing things for Jesus, right? But her sister is actually in the other room, apparently seemingly doing nothing, just being with Jesus. And so you remember the story, Martha goes in and says, Jesus, don't you see I'm doing all the work here and my sister, she's doing nothing. And you might remember what Jesus says. He just he kind of looks at Martha and he says, you know, Martha, you're so, you get so busy. You get so preoccupied doing so many things, but really only one thing is important. Only one thing, he says, is essential. And your sister has chosen the right part. Being with Jesus. Because it's not enough just to have him in your life. You need to open the door and invite him in to the moment. I was reading an article this summer which I found fascinating. This, uh, this writer was talking about uh, what he calls triggers. And I had never really kind of heard this term before used in this way, but he talked about triggers, and triggers are things that kind of help you remember to invite God into the moment that you're in. And he talked about how in his life, he's got little triggers that he's put in there. Whenever he sees these things, it kind of reminds him to think, have I invited Jesus in to this moment? And he talked a little bit about how Jesus himself liked to kind of you know, set up triggers like he'd talk about things like weeds and water and seeds and bread and wine. And for the disciples, those became triggers. Like, think about it. He's in the upper room and he says, here's some bread and now this bread represents my body and here's a cup and now that, that cup represents my blood. And chances are, every time the disciples saw bread or a cup in the future, it probably triggered something in them. I would imagine it instantly captured their attention like, oh, yeah, I remember that upper room. And it became a, a thing, a trigger in their life just to bring them, just to remind them to bring God into the moment. And I was thinking about how in my own life there's some triggers over the years and, and I've been trying to learn how to put some more in there. For, for me, there's a few triggers that I've had. Like one is every morning when I wake up, and again, I'm not really a morning person, but every morning when I wake up, I wake up and, and open my eyes and start this way. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what mistakes I made yesterday, no matter what I did or what I said, today is a day of brand new possibilities. Every day when I open my, up my eyes, I think, today is a day of brand new possibilities. It's just for me become this trigger as soon as I open my eyes and it instantly brings me into the presence of God. I can't explain it, but I, I spend the morning time as I'm getting ready for the day, I just begin to pray about everything that I know is going to happen that day. I begin to pray about that. Oh, I'm going to be with so-and-so. God, I want this to be a conversation of possibilities. I'm, I'm going to be involved in teaching the word today. I'm going to be involved in whatever it is. And I just pour over that in prayer because I realize this is a new day. It doesn't have to be like yesterday or the day before. This is a day of tremendous possibility. Uh, for me, and now I know this is probably silly to you, but um, again, not being a morning person, uh, I've kind of come up with a little ritual to kind of get me going because I've got to get up early. So I get up, I get ready, I go to the coffee shop, and I get 
I don't really get coffee because that would be too strong of a term. I get a big glass of chocolate milk with a few shots of espresso in it and lots of whipped cream on the top, you know. And uh, every morning when I get that, it's just like my little treat for getting up in the morning, you know. And, uh, but, but here's the thing that's happened to me over the last year is I get that I always get it in my hand and I hold it and I think to myself, you know what, I don't, I don't need this to stay alive. I don't need this to survive. I don't. This is an extra, you know. This is special. And every time I hold one of those, you know, it always makes me think, my God has really been generous. He's really given me some extra stuff. It can be easy after a while to think that the extras are things just that God owes you, and they're not. They're extras. It's, it's, It's cool stuff. It's dessert for breakfast. You know, you thank God for that. That's a great thing. And I do it just, oh, every day makes me think. God's so generous. God's so good. It makes me thankful. I have a picture in my office of, of my best friend in high school who, who died as a freshman in college in a car accident. And it always, I, every time I see that picture of Steve, it always makes me think, today is a gift from God. I didn't deserve this day. I didn't earn this day. But it's a gift from God. I need to be thankful for today. Every time I come to a red light, it's a trigger. Now, um, I, I was just thinking about, uh, no, it's not that kind of a trigger. <laughs> Every time I come, when I was in high school, I heard a sermon, and I can't remember who preached it, and I can't even remember, like, what he was talking about, but here's one thing I remember. I remember the pastor, whoever it was, telling a story about how he developed this discipline that when he's driving and he comes to a red light, every time he comes to a red light, he stops what he's doing and he prays. It just makes him pray, and he'll pray for things in his life. And the the passage he uses is Psalm 46.10. This says, cease striving, or he said it meant stop striving, stop striving, stop driving, (laughs) and know that I am God. You know, now, really bad hermeneutics, you know, but actually, the thing is, I've always remembered that, and I, I don't know why, but I've always had that practice ever since I heard that sermon. Every time I'm driving and I come to a red light, it's just something triggers in me, and I'm like, oh, it's time to pray. And it's just a way to invite God into that moment where a lot of times when I'm driving, (laughs) I don't always invite God into that moment. Um, Rain. I was mentioning last night, rain is one of those things. that I grew up in an area where it's very dry and it very rarely rained. I moved to the Northwest. It's a little different here. And um, I'll be honest, I reached this point where I'm like, I really kind of hate the rain. All the time rain, you know, by the time it's March or whatever. And I can remember one summer going back to Southern California where I was from in the summertime and it was just dry and everything was dead and it was just gray and then I drove back up here and it was so beautiful and it was so green and you know what it made me think? It made me think, you know, in the Northwest, it's really cool. We don't always want rain, but we need rain. And it's cool that God gives us rain when we need rain. The heathens in California, I don't know why they don't get rain, but we get rain up here and, and... It made me think, it made me think, you know, there's a lot of times in my life where God gives me things I don't want, but I need. And I'm thankful that I have a father that gives me what I need, even when I don't want it. So every time it rains, it just reminds me that I have a heavenly father who gives me what I need. So obviously I think about that a lot. Uh, A few years ago, I did a sermon on um, turning, the, the temptation to turn uh, bread or stone into bread. You remember, remember that? And um, I handed out little stones if you were here. And every now and then some of you will come up still and you'll have that in your pocket. And the whole point was, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Jesus could have turned a stone into bread, 
but it was all about the will of God for him. And a lot of times in life, if you're like me, a lot of times I'm like, well, I can do something, so why wouldn't I? Well, because it may not be what, what, what God wants. And so I always have a, a stone in my office, a stone at home, because it reminds me. I can be kind of the kind of person who jumps into things, and a stone reminds me. Have I prayed about it? Am I, am I being tempted here to turn a stone into bread? I have uh, just one last trigger that I have in my life. I have many, but uh, a while back I, teach, I taught a sermon on forgiveness, and I had this stamp made that says canceled on it. And I talked about the fact that sometimes when people sin against us and we forgive them, sometimes it, it doesn't feel satisfying enough to forgive them. So I suggested you might want to take out what they did and you, and you might want to write it on a piece of paper. And then, you know, I'll sometimes just, I got a big stamp head in my office. I'll take it and I'll, you know, and, and, and just like, okay, it's done. And there's something for me that's kind of satisfying about that. So I always keep this in my office. And every now and then when I see it, I always think, is there something that I need to cancel? Some sin that I've been holding on to that, that, that I need to let go of? And some of you have come into my office over the last couple of years for, for counseling. And we ended up doing canceling, you know, because sometimes I've had to say, you know what, let's just write this down and you just need to stamp that. But that's, for me, it's a trigger. It always reminds me to invite God in to that moment, what, whatever it is. Triggers remind us to invite Jesus into the moment because it's so easy to just kind of charge full throttle ahead into the next thing while Jesus is right there, right at the door, wanting to come in, wanting to be with us. We need to invite him in. We need to open the door. In Romans 8, 11, it tells us this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, notice what he says, lives in you. He's living in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same Spirit, notice again, living within you. You are in the presence of God right this very moment. Have you invited him in to this moment? When you leave here today, God will be with you. When you're at home this afternoon, God will be with you. You need to open the door. You need to invite him in to the moment. Spiritual disciplines are a great way to be with Jesus. You know, studying the Bible is a great way to be with Jesus. Praying is a great way to be with him. Practicing generosity is a great way to be with him. But it's just as important when you wake up in the morning to invite him into that when you're doing chores, to invite him into that when you're at work. Are you inviting him into that moment, into that conversation, into the foyer after church as, as you talk with people, even at this very moment right here and right now? It's amazing how easy it is at times to have Christ in your life, but not in the moment. So you open the door. You mind the door. And, and the second thing I want to say, and this is just really quick, and it's kind of one of the things that can kill that is we need to be careful about thinking really big. Now, I know that that probably sounds kind of weird, almost kind of unbiblical, because there are times when God is going to put some big thing on your agenda. You think of Moses and Noah and David and Joshua and Nehemiah and walls and arcs and all that stuff. But as I read the Bible, here's what I find. Those guys in those situations are usually the exception to the way we grow, not the rule. So what I've noticed about really spiritually mature people around me when I ask them how they grew to be so spiritual I've never had anybody say, well, it's because I did this big spiritual event. I went to a seminar. I've never had anybody ever tell me the thing that really changed my life was a sermon. <laughs> never, never heard that. But I'm not offended by that, quite frankly, at least not really offended by that. Um, you know, here's what I find. 
I find that the people around me that are really spiritually mature will, mature will basically say that their maturity was built upon thousands of thousands of thousands of small little connections with God, step by step, moment by moment. Now, granted, sometimes those will kind of come together at one point and kind of explode and they'll, they'll experience this, this great growth. But that growth is really built on a moment-by-moment lifestyle with God before that happened. In Luke 16.10, Jesus is talking really about money here, but he says this, unless you are faithful in, notice, in small matters, you won't be faithful in, in large ones. I believe that kind of translates into every area of life. Jesus is just saying, invite Jesus into your small financial matters and don't just sit back and say, well, I'll invite him in when I have a big financial matter. He says, be faithful with the small stuff. Be faithful with the moment by moment by moment of walking with God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, watch how he says this, we become more and more like him and we reflect his glory even more. I love that because it's a great picture of how we grow. We grow more and more and even more. It's a journey that's usually taken one step at a time. Now, if God calls you to do something really big, if you go home today and he calls you to build an ark, then, you know, go for it. That's pretty cool. But, but don't do this. Don't sit back and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything until God gives me something really big to do. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out for a really big ministry. I'm not going to go work in the nursery because that's not big enough for me. I'm not going to help people find parking out there. That's not, I'm waiting for, you know, a chance to, to preach. I'm waiting for a chance to, you know, do something, whatever it is, something big, whatever you think that would be. Instead, instead, take the opportunity God gives you today to serve. Don't have the attitude like, well, I only have 10 minutes to read my Bible this morning, so I'll wait until Wednesday because I'll have an hour. If you only have 10 minutes a day, then take the 10 minutes today. You know, don't think, well, I only have $10 to be generous today. I'll wait until, you know, I don't know, five months when I have $1,000, and then I'll be generous. Be generous with the $10 that you have today. Use what God gives you today. Let me put it another way. In Matthew 22, it tells us, an expert in the religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Just like, you know, if you could wrap up the entire Old Testament what would it be? And Jesus said this, you must love the Lord your God, notice, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus says, it's no big deal, I just want everything, okay? He says, Here's a, I just want to be number one in your life. I want to be the most important thing in your life. I don't know if you've ever thought, how do I do that? How do I make Jesus the most important thing in my life? That's so big, it's so huge, I'll, I'll fail at it. I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to give God everything? I don't even know what everything is. Here's how you do it, okay? You just give him the next moment. How do you have God everything? You just give him the next moment. And then you give him the next moment. And then you give him the next one. Stop thinking so big. Stop thinking, you know, calendar events. Just start thinking the moment. Because if you give him this moment right now, and the moment we're about to have, and the moment after that, you know what? That's how you give him everything. That's how you grow. That's how you live with the Lord, moment by moment, step by step. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the invitation that your son has given us, the invitation to come, the invitation to be with him. Father God, we can get so caught up in our responsibilities and so caught up 
and our disciplines and our schedule that we can forget that your son is standing at the door wanting to come in, wanting to do life with us, to share a meal with us. We can forget that. So Father, we would pray right now. Jesus, we pray right now for you to come into our moment. Father, right now we're opening the door. Come into our moment. Come into this prayer. Father God, come into our our worship. As we go home today, we pray that you would come into our, our home. Enter into our conversation. Enter into the way we react with family. As we go to sleep tonight, Father, we pray that you would enter into that that time. When we wake up in the morning, Father, we want to give you that moment to wake up to a new day to be with you. When we go to school, when we go to work, when we have coffee with friends, Father God, we want to invite you into that moment. Father, we want to give you everything because we love you. We desire to be deeply and intimately connected with you. And so, Father, we ask you to come into the moment. We want to be with you. We want to share a meal with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say.